Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 102, that's 102, titled The Michelin Star Story. First, before we get into the Michelin Star Story, let's do that recommendation segment. This week's recommendation is a movie. It's called Midnight in Paris. Um, this Hollywood film takes to the page out of the European film playbook. I really felt like I was watching a French film with Hollywood actors and budget, so it was pretty nice. Owen Wilson, whom I think is quite charming. This is like in the height of his career, you know, the 2010s. Owen Wilson plays a writer who is in love with the past and the city of Paris. While on vacation with his unloving wife and his dreaded in-laws, he gets a little wine drunk and stumbling through the streets of Paris at night, he is transported to the 1920s Paris where he meets all of his writer and artist idols. He runs into people like Ernest Hemingway, uh, the Fitzgeralds, all kinds of people play star-studded cast, amazing. Um, you've got Kathy Bates, Adrian Brody, um, really good cast. And Owen Wilson, like I said, Michael Sheen is in there as well. It's a good, good show, a good movie, and it was a nice, delightful movie to watch with Shannon. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and it's like, oh, suspense. You feel this, you feel scared, you feel happy, you're just dying out laughing. This was nice. It was pleasant. That's the best way to describe it. And it was a great night to spend with my fiance. So recommend you check out Midnight in Paris starring Owen Wilson. And um, yeah, it should be fun. Now for the main event. This week's episode is about the Michelin star rating system for restaurants and why the most prestigious, I will be saying prestigious instead of prestigious, prestigious rating system for food is operated by a tire company. Yeah. Yep, they're one and the same. First, what is a Michelin star? Well, Michelin employs people they call inspectors to critique food in restaurants all across the world. If they are sufficiently impressed, they award stars known as Michelin stars to the restaurant. They either award one star, two stars, three stars, or no stars. Restaurants that receive a Michelin star for the first time can expect a flood of food tourists while losing a Michelin star devastates chefs. So Gordon Ramsay, the celebrity chef who makes young chefs weep on his show, Hell's Kitchen, cried when he lost two Michelin stars in 2013. It's a big deal. Michelin stars like the epitome of their career, chefs. And this is all a bit odd because Michelin is a tire company whose annual report highlight highlights the cost of rubber and growth in the passenger car market. So, yeah, weird. The company that <laughs> is all about rubber and tires and car market, it does restaurant stuff. So how this happened, we'll get into that. While there is a three-star system with three stars being better than two and two being better than one, it is incredible to get just one star. Only the tippy-toppy restaurants in the world qualify for any stars at all. So it's not like, oh, I only got one star, trats. No, if you got one star, it's like... I don't know, the first thing popped into my head was like a one-star general. You're still a general. That's badass uh, for military people. It's the same thing. It's not being like, oh, one star. That's a crappy review. No, one star is amazing. It's like a lifetime goal for most chefs. Here's the super subjective, subject, subjective qualifying criteria. To earn one Michelin star, a restaurant needs to be, quote, a very good restaurant in this category. <laughs> Just has to be good. Uh, worth a pop-in. For two stars, it needs to be excellent cooking, worth a detour. And for three stars, a restaurant must serve, quote, exceptional cuisine, worth a special journey. And we'll get into the French translations that came from the original guide um, about those. But that's just the general criteria. It's super subject subjective, and these inspectors go off of what they think a restaurant fits those criteria. 
Now, here's the gist of it. Here's the big idea, the reason why I want to do a podcast, the whole story. This all started in 1895 when there were less than a thousand cars driving around France. I just realized I, I spelled on the blog here, French. But anyway, <laughs> less than a thousand cars driving around France. <laughs> Those few cars were rarely driven anyway. Uh, even though there's a thousand, they were hardly driven at all because maintenance for a car back then was very inconvenient and expensive. Like fine dining, driving a car was a luxury. This was an issue for the Michelin brothers, Edouard uh, and Andre. They had just developed a new kind of tire, one that was air-filled and easy to replace, as opposed to the standard tire at the time, which needed to be glued on. Um, if you can believe it, <laughs> glued on tire. So, but no, Michelin had this air one that they wanted to market. So the Michelin brothers wanted to drive up the number of cars and the amount of miles being driven per car. More cars and more miles meant more tires needed to be replaced. So more often, so that's more business for them, right? In order to get more cars on the road and sell more tires, they had a 400-page guide printed up. 400 pages. It's a guide. It was red. It looked cool. I saw some pictures. The guide was full of helpful and fun information for those who liked to tour France. It highlighted towns and cities that were accessible by car and also included um, where people could get their vehicles serviced or fill up with gas. Um and that sounds like not that big a deal. Like sounds like an atlas. But remember, this is like turn of the turn of the 20th century. There's not many cars around, so service and gas stations were few and far between. Only certain pharmacies had gasoline at the time, and they didn't call it gasoline; called it petrol. But um, and actually, they called it the French version of petrol. But um, yeah, only at pharmacies could you get that. And the most relevant to our topic, the guide included restaurants and hotels that Michelin thought were worth visiting. So they typed up this guide to get people going and. And it just included also fun things like restaurants and hotels. The response from the public was that the guide was a smash hit. They loved it. Uh, the more res restaurants they rated, the further people drove to check them out, and the sooner their tires needed replacing. It was a smash hit. Um, it is considered one of the best public relations tactics to date. I didn't read that anywhere. Um, for this blog, I knew that from going to college for public relations. This was amazing. Um, groundbreaking public relations stuff right here and it worked this this isn't just advertising they're not advertising by our by our tires this isn't advertising this is public relations this is the best some of the best versions of example of public relations hey here's this thing you can do with our product you don't even have to use our product but we're going to give it to you for free check it out check check out france and it worked it drove prices up. It's marketing. It's, it's, it's public relations. So really cool. The red guidebook started to come out in the early 1900s. The goal was to give the public a reason to drive more. And it worked. Two brothers who designed and made tires created a cultural boom for their country's tourism and created something that we'll get into. As you see, as I said, the Michelin rating star system, which is today the most prestigious rating system for restaurants, all to sell more tires, not just to sell tires, but also to you know build the brand of their company. And now, thanks to that, they're huge. Um, from now, here's a here's a quote from an image standpoint. It certainly has helped as a halo for a tire brand because tires, of course, aren't the sexiest product," said Tony Foldepol, uh, the Michelin North America's director of corporate public relations, and that's what he told Business Insider. Took a lot of this from Business Insider's uh, article. 
So yeah, head of public relations. He's like, it was, you know, it was great. It made us look awesome. I have some old, really old uh, advertisements here for the Michelin man. He looked like a stack of pancakes, not a rubber guy. Uh, so <laughs> you should check out the blog. And they even had mascots dressed up in these weird suits with white rounded suits like the Michelin man. From the Facebook account, History Cool Kids, uh, the original Michelin man from 1894 uh, had those pictures that he just... Just look at some some poor college, you know, like young kid in his twenties or something wearing this terribly hot and awkward suit. It was kind of horrifying. The original Michelin Man. Just Google original original Michelin Man costume, <laughs> and you'll make your day. So uh, that's from 1894. The Michelin Man is white because rubber tires are naturally white. It was not until 1912 that carbon chemicals were mixed into the white tires, which turned them black. The change was structural, not aesthetic. Uh, by adding carbon, tires were more durable. This is all from that Facebook history, Cool Kids. The star system that Michelin use, uses goes up to three and is broken down by whether it is not whether or not it's worth driving to the restaurant. So that criteria I talked about earlier, listen about this. It makes sense. Like all the criteria about the stars are like how far you should drive to see it. See how it comes it back into the tires. So one star, a very good restaurant in its category, un très bon table dans cette catégorie, and two stars, excellent cooking, worth a detour, table excellente, ex the table excellente, mérité un détour. And three star, exceptional cuisine worth a special journey, un des milieux, uh, table vaut la voyage. And my French professors are <laughs> probably shaking their fist if they ever hear that. My pronunciation in French has gone down so bad. I used to be able to read things and just say it like it was French, like I was French, not anymore. <laughs> but I do love the French language. Okay, and I have a good image of the Michelin Man over the centuries and how he just recently became in the 2000s this, like, 3D dude. It's kind of creepy. But anyway, Michelin Man, he's white because tires, rubber used to be white. Now, as the tire company grew, so did their guide. They launched country-specific editions throughout Europe that became popular enough to compel the brothers to start charging for the booklets in 1920, so beforehand they were free. In 1926, the guide expanded to the industry that made it famous, fine dining. Five years later, the three-star system was introduced. As of September of 2021, there were 2,000 2,817 Michelin stars spread out across the entire globe according to Lux.Digital. That was a weird weird website but um website name at least but the article was really helpful 2817 michelin stars in total that some get two some get three some get one but there's 2817 just as of september of 2021 today michelin continues to authoritatively judge restaurants in order to promote the company name um it's a bit like if the coca-cola company ran the oscars having created the uh, ceremony in the 1920s so that people would go to the movies and drink more soda so there is a connection there it's debatable whether the guide still helps michelin sell tires but michelin's ownership has been instrumental to the renown and authority of its restaurant guides so it may not even sell tires that much anymore but why would you get rid of something that's known as the most prestigious of anything in the world you know um if i was a company i was like well it's not selling tires we're not getting rid of it we can still sell the guides like it's got to bring in you know something so how the inspections go other than those weird criteria how the inspectors lives are i don't know about you but to me, it sounds like one hell of a job to travel around, especially Europe or other anywhere in the world, trying delicious food anonymously and writing about it in the most respected food critic guide in the world. But apparently it isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, some Frenchie apparently said it's a sucky job. But compared to what? 
working in an office all day, I have my doubts that it's worse than that. <laughs> I still would. I think I would love to be a Michelin star inspector. However, my palate's weird. I eat all kind of weird crap all the time. Uh, so I don't think I'd make the job, but I would love it. But I think I would love it. But here is how the inspector job works. Each region of the world is assigned an inspector who takes responsibility for finding the most pleasurable places to dine in their region. Like I said, these inspectors are anonymous. They are forbidden to speak with the press or any major outlets outside of their families. They all have a ton of experience in the restaurant business or culinary fields. Most are retired chefs, actually, and every one of them has to pass an official Michelin guide training course only held in France. Oh no, I have to fly to France to <laughs> pass a guide guide training course. How terrible. I would let's go. I'm ready. Now these days the inspectors have the luxury of checking their phones for the hottest spots around. Uh, but back when the guide started, it was much more adventurous and tedious. Really, you can we all know. You just google restaurants near me and what other people are saying about them and that gives you a good idea of what to go to go judge but back then wasn't the same inspectors only found restaurants by driving all the back streets of france or getting a tip via word of mouth about a nice restaurant now these undercover michelin inspectors are a, a bit different from your typical food critics they don't take notes while they eat they just simply eat they simply soak up the experience also they don't just visit once before passing judgment they visit a restaurant multiple times to get a good sense of the place um some say this gig isn't all that it is cracked up to be uh, pascal remy a former french inspector for michelin released a book called le inspecteur se met à table the inspector sits at the table and back in 2004 he came out with that in this book remy says uh, how the job is terribly lonely on top of that he says inspectors don't get paid nearly what they are owed and the standards of the michelin star system have loosened up in recent decades um you know they become lax they're not as it's not as prestigious anymore in response michelin has de denied most allegations made in the book but do admit the job of michelin inspector isn't a magnificent one um there might not be as, as magnificent as one might imagine so i don't know i like i said i'd still like to try that now the brand what this does for the brand the michelin guide represents a minute fraction of a massive company that rather than rather than being profitable it is mostly a brand building tool any way to build on a tradition rooted in the company's founders michelin is aware that even though the guide is gaining recognition in the us many do not make the connection between it and the tire company I had no idea. I personally had never had never even heard of the Michelin star rating system until I saw a movie about French cooking on Netflix um, just about a year or two ago. It was I forget what it's called, but it was a movie with these Indian people from India, move, you know, moved to France. They tried to open up a French uh, restaurant right across from a prestigious one, and it's like it's it's a good movie, so check it out. And but you know, it wasn't even. It wasn't until looking into this podcast and researching thing I realized it is run by the same company, Tires, and the most prestigious rating food system in the world, same company. When I first heard about uh, that rating system, I thought Michelin, like the tire company, nah, couldn't be. Uh, that would be absurd. But it turns out they're one and the same. The Michelin star rating system that the world's top chefs dream of was first created to get people to drive more so that more tires could be sold. Now it has been wrapped in so much prestige and elitism that it doesn't matter that it doesn't help sell tires anymore. The star system has become its own thing. Um, and I, I, don't, I highly doubt they're getting rid of it anytime soon. Here's a quote. We can't spend millions on a campaign telling people, hey, we're the same company, Tony Fuldepore says, laughing. 
as the PR guy from North America from Michelin. But it's nice when people make the connection. It's only been 10 years in America. Let's see what happens after 10 more. Um, I He might be being a little bit, little bit hopeful there. I don't think that's going to help sell tires. Um, Americans don't really give a crap. They much rather go to the local burger joint. Yes, we like fine dining. We like good food as much as anybody else. But we much rather go to a burger joint. We're not going to go to some place, spend $120 on a plate and be like, mm, you know what this? makes you want to do go out and get new michelin tires on my car no so i don't see that happening and first michelin they already have a great advertising in the states that everyone's heard of michelin because of the michelin man that's been way more uh helpful for them selling tires at least in america at least in my upbringing so um anyway thanks for listening who to thunkers that's the story between the michelin rating star system and the tire company i hope you enjoyed episode 102 tune in next week don't know what it's gonna be about yet but we'll figure it out going on vacation this week so it might be a short one next one um tune in next week catch you later